Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. So if you're new to Christianity, just to give you a primer so you understand the authority with which I'm about to speak, we actually believe God wrote this book. We understand that's a crazy claim, but this is not a hobby. We would be out playing golf right now if Jesus hadn't emptied his own tomb. This is a big deal, okay? Jeremiah 29, page 651, if you got the hardback that we handed out, if you're familiar with your Bible or you type it into a digital Bible, Jeremiah 29, I know you're really excited about verse 11. You've got a coffee cup with verse 11 on it, but we're not doing verse 11. We're doing something way scarier. Verse 11 says God loves you and has a plan for your life. Verses four through seven tell you to get off your derriere. We don't like those verses. I just wanted somebody to tell me that God loves me and I'm special and I'm a snowflake. Now, you are deeply loved by God, but he tells us of his plan for us after telling us to do something, right? Pastor Dennis is always telling context, right? Context, context, context. Today's sermon is called Hard to Hate. Who here has, these are rare moments in our very vitriolic culture. Who here, whether it's a coworker, a neighbor, because of the bumper sticker on their car or the political lawn sign, you were already committed to hating this person, but then you had a conversation, you found out you liked them and it was very inconvenient. <laughs> Anybody ever had that happen? My hand is up. My hand is up. And so um, by God's grace through church planting a few years back, I entered the 2016 election, easily the most vitriolic thing. Well, 2020 was pretty bad too. One of the most vitriolic things we've experienced uh, as, as uh, Americans, I was able to enter into that having friends with multiple perspectives. So I had somebody to go to coffee with and say, hey, the world's kind of burning right now. Could I buy you a mocha? And we were able to talk. And I knew that he was hardcore in one way and I was pretty hardcore in another way, but we liked each other. And we both knew that we liked each other. It's hard to hate somebody that you like. I'm gonna put forward today, it's hard to hate somebody if they serve you if they wash your feet. It's hard to hate somebody where you have found common grounds, common values in a few areas. It's hard. And the reason that this is important, we're going to see in the text of Jeremiah 29. He's commanding us, we're about to find out. Oh, I should get to Jeremiah 29. I'm in Isaiah. That's a very different sermon. Um, We're gonna find out, shocker, God has told his people to be hard to hate. He's told us that. So let's look at the text real quick. Those of you who are regulars, you know that in the summer we were preaching through the book of Daniel and then I got cancer, which is always a convenient thing. And then it was hard to ask guest preachers to come into a tough book like Daniel. And so Daniel is just on ice. Like we'll get to it maybe in February or something. So we're doing standalone sermons right now. But if you were with us or if you've studied the book of Daniel on your own, you know that the people of God, uh, amongst other rebellions, we had denied God the Sabbaths to which he was entitled. 
for his people to rest, to find rejuvenation, to find something in our soul that can really trust God. There's nothing trusting God like not earning income. Does that make sense? On purpose, to not earn income. Income is what we put our faith in all the time, right? And so Israel, we, the people of God, had denied him Sabbaths, and he said, okay, 70-year time out in Babylon, go. Now, if your God can put you on time out for 70 years, is he big or is he big? Okay, so off to captivity in Babylon. It is in this context that Jeremiah writes a letter to the exiles that we're gonna read the first few verses. Start with me at 29, verse four. Here's Jeremiah's letter. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes, excuse me, and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Wait, is this good news or is this bad news real quick? Help. Bad news. I've got one vote for good. I've got one vote for bad. Well, I guess we'd have to ask ourselves this. What are the expectations of those in exile? If, if God is going to say something good to his people, surely he's going to kick Nebuchadnezzar in the face and send us back home, right? Hopefully. The, the, the people of God have perennially, we love to bag on Job's friends. What terrible friends they were, this retribution theology. Job, you're suffering, so clearly you must have done something bad. But we all do that. The people of God in this moment, just as we often do, they're probably thinking, we were bad, we got carried off into captivity. We have now cried out in repentance. So the prophet's speaking to, surely he's gonna have good news for us and take us back home. That would be a very logical, he's gonna smash the bad guys. Does that sound like Jonah or does that sound like Jonah? For those of you with a church background. Jonah is ready for some divine wrath. He's just not very in touch with how much he personally deserves divine wrath, right? Everybody loves a Pharisee being your pastor, right? That's Jonah. Okay. But he says, build homes, like that's a huge investment of time, energy, and resources, right? And plan to stay. You're gonna be here a while, I'm trying to submit to you, this is not necessarily good news. It is incredible news for the implications of what God has designed for his people here, but they're gonna probably receive it as bad news initially. Anybody here, God told you something and it was for your blessing and flourishing and your good and you thought it was bad news? If you're a sinner, your hand should be above your head right now. That's called sin. We think we're smarter than God. We think we are wiser than God. We think we love ourselves more than God loves us. That is the foundation of human rebellion. God is holding out on you, the serpent said, and we still believe it. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Stay long enough that you get to see the entire cycle. You're gonna plant things, you're gonna sow, you're gonna harvest, okay? Marry and have children. Is that a long-term commitment? This is not just marital, this is now cultural you have children, you're going to shape and affect the culture because you disciple your children, amen? These guys have Deuteronomy 6, they know what's up. Marry and have children. 
Then find spouses for them. Whoa, 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 whoa. Does that, does that happen next week? He is telling you to find a spouse for a child you haven't even conceived yet. Is this long-term or is this long-term? Whoa. And find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. So we're talking three generations deep here. You're gonna be in Babylon for a minute. Multiply, do not dwindle away. I always would be, I'd be reticent to, uh, I don't wanna fail to neglect. This is a replication, a purposeful replication of what God said in the garden, okay? The cultural mandate, theologians call it. Have children, raise them, and fill the earth with my image so everywhere I look, I can see my own reflection back at me. Now you're in a dark place. You were to shine in Babylon, right? Our sermon series for Daniel. You're gonna shine, raise children that love Yahweh despite the culture. I know that doesn't resonate with you guys at all in California in 2022. I know that's just a theory. Raise little Yahweh worshipers. Raise little Shadrach, Meshachs, and Abednegoes that are at 17 ready to go to the flames. Do it. If you raise children that are ready to go into the flames, are those children yours or are they God's? Some of you guys think that's really radical. It's not. Your 18-year-old tells you that they want to go on a mission trip in a country that's dangerous, and then you find out whether that child is yours or God's. I have a 13-year-old. I'm five years away. So you just say, oh, Pastor Greg, you just wait. You just wait. When your baby girl wants to go somewhere dangerous, we'll see. Yeah, and I will find out. I will find out. If she wants to do something dangerous for the gospel, I will find out whether she is mine or whether she is the Lord's. Multiply, do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Did he just say that? The people who slaughtered our husbands and our sons and our uncle is dead in, dead in the battlefield, these guys, these pagans, I'm supposed to pray and work for their blessing? Is that good news? It's great news if you're an enemy of God. Brothers and sisters, we are Babylon. You're Babylon first, and then Yahweh reveals himself to you, and you start worshiping, you become the people of God. You're adopted in. Work for the peace and the prosperity. Pray to the Lord for it. Why? Glad he told us. For in its welfare, you will find your own welfare. Its welfare will determine your welfare. How's it going to go for you? Well, what city do you live in? Now, this is intensely practical in one sense. If your city is under siege, does everybody starve irrespective of their religious beliefs? Yeah, there is a practical implication. If there's a recession, generally speaking, do a lot of people lose their jobs irrespective of what color, what gender, what religion? Like, does it just go bad if there's a recession? I'm not saying there's no inequality, but if there's a recession, there's a recession. Okay, he said, in its welfare, you will find your own welfare. 21st century church, you wanna know how to be blessed? Work and pray for the blessing of Babylon. Is this the opposite? So I'm to, I wanna bust out a 50 cent uh, church history word on you. Some of you will know it, monasticism. Root word is the same as monastery. There's a very long time in Christianity where we spent 
significant resources building these cool buildings way out in the boondocks. And we hid behind the walls to pray and study scripture and made sure that the only people we knew were also praying and studying scripture and spend the rest of our life there. And it was the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago before we started to level some large critiques at that way of thinking. Hey, aren't we supposed to be in the world but not of it? If your argument is only for holiness, then hiding behind a wall might be a good strategy. But if you are to be a holy people, a city on a hill visible to Babylon, then those walls are actually not helping, right? Monasticism is still alive and well today. We make sure that all of our friends love Jesus. We put bubbles inside our bubbles, inside our bubbles, and then we declare victory. The problem is, if anybody were to ever ask us, hey, how many times in the last 30 days have you had a chance to share the good news of a crucified and risen Savior? If you've got bubbles on your bubbles, you just kind of shrug and shirk at that moment. What we've been told to do, brothers and sisters, is to plant gardens, build houses, have families, influence culture, not like the culture wars, like I'm, I'm gonna blast you with my ideas, but to stand in a visible holy place like a city on a hill, to pray three times a day from a window, even if it costs me, a holy, peculiar, weird even people. Those guys are weird. But man, they'll plant gardens, they'll, they'll invest, they pray for our, the good of our city, they work for the good of our city. They are really hard to hate. How many of you guys know that somebody who has never been to church in America, the only thing they know about Christianity is that we hate gay people? There could be nothing further from the truth. And that is the spirit of the age. That is what people think and feel right now if they've never had a background in church in particular. Wouldn't it be a really good thing if, somebody, if God was going to, the hound of heaven was going to find somebody and take them from darkness into light, couldn't he use a few Christians in that person's life that were really hard to hate? Do you think you might get a chance to share of the love of Jesus Christ with somebody if you have a relationship? Do you think you might have a relationship if you are hard to hate? I think so. Note takers, let's go. The church in exile is commanded by God to expand her influence. The church in exile is commanded by God to expand her influence. And as I said in the Daniel series, if you were a Christian in the 1950s, you, this phrase might not have resonated with you, but as the culture becomes less and less cruciform, I hope we see that the book of Daniel, the book of Jeremiah, these are powerfully um, appropriate lessons for us in the, in the 21st century in the West. The church in exile, that's you if you love Jesus. You are not surrounded by Christendom. People do not think the same way you, as you generally the assumption that the Bible is true, the assumption that the tomb of Jesus Christ is empty, the assumption that God created this world for his glory and for the blessing, beauty, and benefit of those he created, all of these assumptions your neighbor does not necessarily share. Your coworker in the cubicle next to you does not necessarily share. You are in exile, okay? 
And you are commanded by God to expand the influence of the church. Now this is for free. Does that make cowardice a sin? Yes. Right? Well, thanks, Greg, for making it all dark. (laughs) Any Hamilton fans in the room today? Three of us, great. The rest of us get to learn about General Lee through a history book. So, you guys need more Broadway in your life. Um, (laughs) General Lee, uh, not that General Lee, General Charles Lee, Uh, during the Revolutionary War, gets a bad rap for cowardice, for running away. Washington uh, put him in charge. He was second in command. After he had been captured by the British and he was in British custody, I think for almost a year, uh, including that horrible winter at Valley Forge. But here's the thing. This is crazy how important communication is. So he gets put in charge of this army after he's been away from that army for almost a year. And he keeps refusing to engage the Redcoats because everybody knows this is the most powerful standing army on planet Earth. It's hard to, when you watch movies uh, like The Patriot, it gives a little bit of an idea of the sheer terror of engaging the British army. You just don't do that. That's how you die. (laughs) The French could go toe to toe with them, but we sure can't, not in North America. Um, General Lee was in this exact same spot, this little fledgling wannabe group of colonies trying to pretend to be a real country. You don't engage the Redcoats. That's how you die. We are guerrilla guerrilla warfare, draw them out, do this, run, 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 run. That's how we survive. Until, because they knew this, the war was not popular back in London. They knew that if we can wait and wait and wait, eventually Parliament will be more and more anti-war and maybe they will leave. So that was part of the American thinking. General Lee retreats and retreats and retreats just like he did before his imprisonment uh, in, I guess, whatever their version of a POW camp was with the British. And Washington and everybody was furious with him because something had changed while Lee was gone and nobody told Lee Are you ready? Is this awesome? Do you put your whole army under one guy and don't tell him what's changed? There were, there's one guy in particular, but there were German mercenaries and a couple of French that were at Valley Forge training the American troops and their discipline in their ranks had gone through the roof. And the morale of surviving that winter they were through the roof. They're like, spring is here. So you've got a bunch of guys that are better trained and they're like, we survived and that whole manifest destiny thing, God clearly is gonna have us win this war. So he has an invigorated army who is better trained than he knows and he's still running. Problem? He found out almost by accident that his troops could go toe to toe with the British when they couldn't run away fast enough to follow his orders and they stood their ground, you go, oh, they did pretty well. Huh. Church, let me ask you, have we missed the key moment? The key moment in which the church was empowered? Where our Savior bled on a cross, where our Savior was raised to life on the third day, where our Savior said, 
Go make disciples everywhere you go. Hey, you're gonna do greater things than this. Hey, the two angels said, why are you guys staring into heaven? <laughs> Didn't he give you orders? He just said you're gonna, what? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You're gonna do what? You'll be my witnesses. When are we gonna be his witnesses? Anybody know? No, not now. Not now. No, 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 no. He said, wait for the Holy Spirit. And then Pentecost comes in Acts chapter two. We go without the Holy Spirit, we're toast. Guys, I had Pentecost on the van when I ended. Okay. <laughs> it's like cheating. <laughs> is the Great Commission a cute saying and is Pentecost a cute Bible story or are these real? Brothers and sisters, we were wise to retreat before God showed up. Yeah. Satan's sin and death versus us. Are you kidding me? Retreating, good move. God put on flesh so that his people never have to retreat ever again. He put on flesh and he suffered so that Satan would have no claim of saying she's guilty. He is guilty. Satan has no claim any longer. And you have not just been justified before your father by the blood of Jesus. You've been sent. We are a sent people. Second, for you note takers, the church in exile works and prays for the blessing of the people around her. Works and praise. Praise almost feels safe. You put a little note in your Bible so you see it each morning. You're like, I'm gonna pray for Citrus Heights. And then you pray for Citrus Heights, which is mission critical, by the way. But that doesn't scare you the way that doing something might scare you. Doing something's harder. Discussion question. We haven't done this in forever. Introverts, you're gonna survive. It's gonna be okay. Talk with your friend. If you're an introvert, just talk with your friend next to you or your spouse and... Or like, talk to Jesus. Dennis will have a group of 15 people huddled up before we know it. What are some ways that our third core value and our fourth vision statement can work together? If you're not sure what those are, there's a wall. In the words of the great Kronk, there's a wall there. The hub of compassion in Citrus Heights. We see God leading us to become this. The go-to hub of compassion in Citrus Heights. And as individuals, we believe we are to serve God and others, and this is to define who we are. Talk with a friend for a minute about how those two ideas can work together practically. I'm gonna give you 90 seconds. Go ahead and chat. For anybody who doesn't mind sharing with the room, I want to share out, a, share out to the room a, a practical idea where service and compassion 
can go together. There's no, there's no, wrong, there's no uh, wrong answer. Unless you say something really terrible. <laughs> and any ideas that you guys talked about with your group? Say that again. Cleaning the park. No. Nope. Cleaning in the park. Absolutely. Go to the park, pick up trash. Someone's got to do it. Amen. How else? Going where? Amen. Amen. Going and serving our sister church in Manila? Absolutely. And you guys already did. You filled up backpacks to partner with our sister church in an evangelistic outreach that they do every Christmas. Amen. Amen. How else? Most of the time, I think it's very organic, like being involved in organizations that are already impacting the city, mm-hmm. like Little League and Heart. Those Don't reinvent the wheel. Yeah, so... So the idea is, you know, be, be enthusiastic about what the city's already doing because most people are in the backseat going mm. to be involved at all. Yeah. Is it, is, there, is it easy to look at certain things in culture and say, that is sinful, we reject it? <laughs> yes. Hopefully. I mean, if it's your favorite sin, that's going to be hard to say no. I, I've said to you guys before, when, it, when we talk about redemption, there's no such thing as a Christian strip club. Okay. <laughs> You can't take that idea and say, well, what we need to do is put some Bible verses on it. And then <laughs> there's no such thing, okay? But, but even though the, the health of the food is, is dubious, is there such a thing as a, uh, a fast food joint that per- puts scripture on the bottom of their cups and tries to run their company in a godly way? So you could have a Christian burger joint. Now, you eat there too much, you might see Jesus sooner than you were planning. <laughs> but, Right? So there are things that can absolutely be redeemed. You don't have to reinvent it. Little League doesn't need to be reinvented. They're not teaching children to sin. They're teaching children to play baseball, right? You don't need to reinvent it. What else? Where do compassion and service meet? Any ideas you guys shared? By not passing up on opportunities to witness when they do come your way. Because Amen. Amen. Boldness. Talk to me. Community garden for the homeless. Community garden for the homeless. I love it. Yeah, that's, that's so packed. I love that. It's like... One of the things you most need is to take ownership, so I'm going to help you do that and taste the fruit of your own labor, and you have to work because the garden doesn't grow on its own. So I'm going to meet some of your core needs. I love it. One, one more before we move on. One more. Where do compassion and service meet? Or could they meet? Yeah. Is it compassion to invite somebody into a room where they're going to hear about a Savior who loves them? Always, always. All right, you guys are smart. I like this. Gut check question. This is just for in our own soul. If you're a Christian, what have you done to bless a neighbor or stranger in the past week? This is a good gut, question, gut check question. Man, it's, I didn't think it was a tongue twister, but apparently it is. It's a good question to ask regularly. Just like, what is my prayer life like? What have I studied in scripture recently? Have I been repenting of sin with a friend recently? What have I done in the past week purposefully to find out where service and compassion touch? 
What have I done recently? Third, for the note takers, there is opportunity to enjoy the goodwill of Citrus Heights and it comes from good works. There is opportunity to enjoy the goodwill of Citrus Heights. It comes from good works. This is how you become hard to hate. I'm not gonna have you turn there. We're just gonna do this real fast. Acts chapter two at 42. Every church planter's favorite text. Listen to this in the early church. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. You can't do that, that's communism. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They went to church every day. No! Pastor's getting on me to come on Sundays. And they went every day. Met in homes for the Lord's Supper. That's called a disciple group. Don't get me started. And shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Now, verse 47 is where I want to draw your attention. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the other Christians they hung out with. Did I read it right? I know enough of you guys have a church background. You know I didn't read that right. Enjoying the goodwill of all the people is what the text says. That means the city. The people who disagree, the people with a different perspective, the people with a different philosophy, the people who've already heard this Jesus claim that he's Messiah and rejected it. No, he's not Messiah, he's an imposter. The church, for a season, mind you, this is a history, it's not a prescriptive text, it's a descriptive one. For at least a season before persecution came, the church, through living a life dominated by love toward others and toward the poor, the church lives in this cool little space called the goodwill of all the people. And here's what I am here to tell you today, because I am always desperately trying to push against victim mentality amongst all of us as a family. If we think we are persecuted, we need to pick up Fox's Book of Martyrs. If we think we are persecuted, we need to follow the voice of the martyrs on Facebook and find out what happened yesterday. You have siblings in Pakistan going through things you couldn't imagine. Okay, we all do. Recently, Tim Keller said, at a pastor's conference, he said, pastors have a tough job in America. I just can't tell them that because the pastors everywhere else have it worse. Wow. Like, is the culture getting darker? Yes. But man, try, try ministry in the rich suburbs of France. You think you're ignored? Go to Zurich, Switzerland. You think you're ignored? Go to Tokyo. Everywhere there's money, the gospel will be ignored. And Jesus kind of told us that. Oh man, fitting a camel through the eye of a needle would be easier than reaching Japan with the amount of money they have. Singapore, are you kidding me? Australia, are you kidding me? California, are you kidding me? 
persecuted. What I'm here to say to you guys today is that although there is so much temptation right now for Christians to feel like, oh, the culture is moving a different direction. Woe is me. The scriptures don't go to a place of woe is me. I mean, they do when God shows up and you're afraid you're gonna die in Isaiah 6. Other than that, there's no woe is me. Blessed and highly favored, anointed, set apart, called. Bold destiny, infused with a Holy Spirit who knows nothing of defeat, except by watching your sorry derriere. You know the Holy Spirit's never lost, right? He's God. He's never, ever lost. That's crazy, folks. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. The one who is inside you knows nothing of defeat. So where does cowardice come from? Why am I afraid of a culture where the Holy Spirit is inside me, pushing back darkness, redeeming the culture? How lousy, how lame, how tragic to be a surfer who lets wave after monster wave go by and not ride it. When are we gonna look at the call of the church as a monster wave and now's our time? Go. You've got one life to live. Go. In the name of Jesus, go. In the authority of Jesus, go. With the love of Jesus, go. Fear is for God's enemies. That is the only appropriate place for fear. Because we can have a sword to our neck and because of our destiny and our calling, there's still no room for fear. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And here's the point that I've already preached. It's hard to dislike someone who is serving you. It's just hard. So whether you've seen the movie or read the book or I need to tell you the story, Pride and Prejudice, amazing story that is built entirely off of this couple that can't get together because they hate each other. Is it really hard to ask a girl on a date when she hates you and you hate her? Say yes. <laughs> like that is the last person you're gonna ask her what she's doing on Friday night, okay? I mean, you might invite her to take a long walk off a short pier, but that's, that's all you're gonna do. Mr. Darcy and Miss Elizabeth Bennett get started off on the wrong foot. And that's the plot line of the entire story. Their first encounter doesn't go very well and they prejudge each other. Mr. Well, she's fabulous. She's wealthy by our standards, but Mr. Darcy is like fabulously wealthy, insane, owns a couple of mansions, kind of wealthy. And he is accepted in polite society, successful businessman, eligible bachelor, and because of his wealth, Everybody in early 19th century Britain that's wealthy, everybody would say he is a catch. And yet Elizabeth could not be less interested because of this bad encounter. Oh, he's arrogant. Oh, he's indifferent. Oh, he's, he's a jerk, etc. The turning point in the plot, if I am about to spoil the plot for you, the book came out 200 years ago. That is your problem, people. You're ruining it. <laughs> the turning point in the plot is when Elizabeth's younger sister gets swept off her feet by a young soldier and they run off together without a proper wedding 
Mr. Darcy, quietly behind the scenes, goes over to the guy and pays him off. Like, I will pay the dowry, just go have a real wedding and don't dishonor this family. Mr. Darcy takes care of all of it in secret, not want to, and he does it because he loves Elizabeth. They can't even speak to each other, but quietly he loves her. And then she finds out shortly thereafter through somebody who wasn't supposed to talk but did. She finds out that this guy she thinks is so indifferent and such a jerk has saved the credibility of her entire family. And so she goes to him. I, I don't have words. I can't say thank you enough. There, there's, what could I possibly say? And he says, surely you know it was all for you. You have to know it was for you. Was it harder for her to hate him at that point? Do we all prejudge from time to time? Is it hard to hate somebody who has sacrificed to bless you and to serve you, even though you're utterly convinced they're a jerk? Brothers and sisters, you have neighbors who need to get to know Mr. Darcy again. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus and his face is the church. And the reason Satan relishes the church getting thrown into the mud evening news after evening news is because the church is the front door. We show people Jesus. And Satan likes an entire Western culture that has been duped into, you came from primordial sludge, an entire Western culture that has been duped into, yeah, there's truth, it's subjective, it's relative, it's up to you and it's somewhere inside your heart. Aladdin said so. You have family members, church, that need to meet Mr. Darcy a second time. They think they know him, but they don't. He has paid such a price. He has gone to a cross for them and they don't know. How loved did you feel the first time your heart could fully believe that Jesus died for you? How much of a mess am I in ethically when all I've ever believed is Jesus doesn't want me to be gay and then all of a sudden he suffered a horrifying death to get me out of hell and into the presence of God? What do I do now with his command over my sexual ethic? The answer is I take my first meeting with Mr. Darcy and I look at it through a new light. Maybe his commands are for my blessing and for my joy. I am forced to look at everything Jesus has ever said and I have to relook at it because I've been convinced he loves me. Foundation, let's plant some gardens. Literal, figurative, <laughs> I don't care. Let's build some houses. Let's have kids. Let's give them in marriage. Let's have some grandkids that love Christ. Let's pray and work for the good of our city. Um, so COVID messed up a lot of things, amen? Hallelujah, Starbucks was deemed 
irreplaceable so I could still get my macchiato. Everybody knows that macchiatos keep COVID away, right? So Starbucks had to stay open. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> this has 162 grams of sugar. This will make you immune. Anyway. I had talked with the elders a lot before COVID about a brand, and a brand is just a way of presenting an idea, okay, uh, called We Heart Citrus Heights that I want to share with you. We're going to use this as a communication tool. We Heart Citrus Heights is our way of planting gardens, okay? And it is simply a name for anything we do that is expressly outwardly focused. Raise your hand if it's easy to start a ministry for the people you already know and already like. Raise your hand if that's easy. Okay. Are there internal ministries to a church that need to happen? Say yes. Absolutely, okay? My daughter loves Jesus, and we have a youth ministry anyway to help her continue to find out how to love Jesus, right? All kinds of internal things have to happen. Can you accidentally... If you're not careful, can you become an us for no more church? If all your ministries are internal, you're serving people you already know, you're serving people you already love, and you accidentally find out, oh, you know, we don't do as much for our city as we thought we did. Could that happen? Yep. It absolutely can happen. It's called comfort. One of the gods of our age is worshiping comfort. Worshiping somebody I've never met. I'm sorry, <laughs> worshiping, that's funny. That's hard enough for those of you investigating Jesus. You need to meet him and then you can worship him. Um, no, serving somebody that I've never met is scarier, right? It's harder. So this is gonna be a term that we use to say, hey, this is outwardly focused. Now this brand, you guys ready? It's gonna hold us accountable. We're all grownups in here or we're gonna be one day. So let me just speak frankly. When we look at our annual budget, when we look at our calendar, I want us to be able to go, hey, look at these internal ministries and say, Do, are they all necessary? Yeah, 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 they are. Praise the Lord, amen. We fund them, we give our energy to it. How many outwardly focused ministries do we also have? When you give something a category and you list them on paper, you go, Hey, how much of our energy is for the city? How much of our energy is for us? Those are really good questions if Jeremiah 29 is in the Bible. Was that snarky enough for you guys? <laughs> snarky is all get out. Is Jeremiah 29 in the Bible? Say it with me. Yes, it is. So we need to ask ourselves healthy gut check questions. See, I said the phrase successfully before the sermon was over. It's a miracle. How much of our time, energy, money, and passion goes to those who do not yet love Jesus Christ? And we say yet because we're full of faith. There's no number that scripture gives us. This percentage and you're holy, this percentage and you're not. We just know we don't want it to be zero. Let's just start with that, not zero, okay? So I wanna share with you real quick. Oh, and I wanted to use this phrase because I grew up Baptist. Depending on how you grew up, we call this local missions. When we hear the word missions, we have a tendency to think international because evangelism becomes missions when I have to cross one or more cultural barriers. If I have to learn a language, learn a culture, learn the food, learn the customs, evangelism now becomes missions, okay? But we get into a nasty habit of thinking that I am not sent unless I get on an airplane. 
Are you a sent people even if you don't get on an airplane? Only if Jeremiah 29 is in the Bible. Do you know what a stinker it would be? 30 would have to be renumbered 29, 31 would have to be 30. It would be a mess. Anyway, we grew up calling this local missions. If that idea helps you, then use it. So we are Citrus Heights is when people need the gospel and all we're gonna have to do is cross the street. That's what We Heart Citrus Heights is, okay? When you see this label, it's we only have to cross the street. It's close. I'm not gonna have to learn a new language. I'm not gonna have to learn a new culture. We are gonna bring the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel. So three things that are coming up that I want you to have on your radar. Sunset Cinema is a week from Friday. We have a 21-foot inflatable screen. We're gonna show Tangled for free. We're giving out M&Ms and popcorn and drinks. And we are inviting our city to just come onto our lawn here because I want to make sure the why is really, really clear. I don't believe in attractional ministry just for kicks and giggles, okay? I believe that COVID showed us human connection is one of the oxygen for human beings. A, a man, even though he was sinless, he was alone and sinless, God said, that's not good. And when the second half of humanity was created, then he said, that's good, and he blessed. We found out how horrible aloneness is during lockdown. Suicide rates, drug addiction, spousal abuse, domestic violence, more broadly, went through the roof. And it does not matter if somebody is in Citrus Heights in a nice house and a nice car and puts on the face like everything's fine. I promise you everything's not fine. You know why? They're human. We are lonely as all get out, and we might be willing to admit it to ourselves. So the pitch for this event, when you invite a friend, hey, come meet your neighbors. Come make a friend. There is not a grown adult who needs to see Tangled. You don't need to see that film. You need, I need M&Ms like I need a hole in the head. I don't need M&Ms. Do they make me worship Jesus just a little bit? Yeah, they do. That's the glory of the Lord in one little nugget right there. Anyway, next week, they're, they're arriving in the mail Wednesday. Next week, if you love Jesus and this is your church family, I'm gonna be handing out these cool little postcards promoting Sunset Cinema. And I want you to take a couple of them and, and bring a friend, okay? This is to help connect people to each other. And maybe, just maybe, they have a friend at the end of the night who loves Jesus. And that friend is really, really hard to hate. Bottles for Life. You're going to hear a lot more about this in the future. Um, it has been on the back burner of my heart, and it is, it's actually been heartburn. We need to have a relationship with an emergency pregnancy clinic, and we're about to have one. There's an incredible one here in Roseville close by called Sierra Pregnancy and Health. They do not charge one red cent to women who come in in crisis terrified, I don't have the resources to have a baby right now. I don't have the support. I, I am not with the man that I was with just a few months ago. I thought this was gonna be okay, but now it's not. What do I do? And Google has changed their algorithm so that when you search for an abortion now, you cannot find these clinics. You only find Planned Parenthood. So their advertising costs have gone through the roof because Google doesn't want to save your child. Okay? We're gonna spend three weeks hearing about Sierra PNH, finding out how we can get in relationship with them and volunteer, and we're gonna raise money. And listen, I am full-time salaried here. Us doing a fundraising thing scares me first. 
You guys have seen how skinny Gabriel is. He needs a sandwich. But sometimes you just have to do it. Sometimes you just have to trust God. Sierra does not charge the women who walk in the door. That is mission critical. And how do they do that unless people like us step up? We're gonna step up. The last thing a woman in crisis needs is a judgmental finger in her face. She needs hope, she needs compassion, and she needs a family. Last, those of you guys who've been with us for a year or more, you know Pumpkin Blast. We offer a safe, family-friendly environment right here in this room and in the Connection Center for kids to get quality candy that is wrapped, that is closed so that parents can feel safe and cool opportunities to take pictures of their adorable kids in, in their outfits for the night and all that. And we do this every year. Why? Because kids need more sugar? Or do we love our city? We love our kids and we show them that we love them. If you, just saying as a parent with two of my three being really young, if you provide safety and predictability for my family on Halloween, you clearly care about me. This is about loving people. This isn't about candy, okay? I've gone long, so I'm gonna pray for us. You guys ready? Lord Jesus, uh, forgive my cowardice in my prayers. So I wanna repent right now. God, would you make us a desperately compassionate people? Make us aggressive in the ways that we love and serve. And please make us hard to hate. We ask this in the name of the crucified, risen, and commissioning Savior, Jesus Christ. God's people said, amen. amen. Go love your city. I love you guys. Have a great week.